On this edition of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast, they were legends of the game and all made stops in our province. Conversations about Hall of Famers Satchel Paige, Leon Day, and Andre Dawson. Welcome to episode 77 of Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. I'm Joe McFarland. February is Black History Month, and earlier this month also marked the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Negro Leagues. If you've been watching albertadugoutstories.com, you've probably seen a few of our stories on the topic, and that's why we bring in our own Ian Wilson to talk about those stories and more. Ian, welcome. Thanks for having me on again. Let's start off with Satchel Paige. He's a famous hurler. Everybody's heard his name. He made a couple of stops here, and we'll get to that in a second, but I want to ask right off the bat, when did you re- first realize he was part of the barnstorming tours of yesteryear? Uh, yeah, I, I had kind of, uh, well, when I knew the Negro Leagues um, anniversary was coming up, I looked into which uh, player or players or teams I wanted to take a look at, and um you know, it's kind of like I do with a lot of players. You know, when I did a, a piece a while back, I just had in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wanted to know if Babe Ruth ever came, you know, came to Alberta. And in that case, I established that he came through Alberta, but uh, on his way to to and from some tournaments, but didn't, didn't play here. Um, with Paige, it was kind of a similar mindset. I just wanted to know if he had, he had ever pitched here. And uh, of course, uh, Satchel Paige, uh, uh, long storied uh, career that spanned five decades and much of it barnstorming. Um, you know, I was able to establish that he had indeed uh, pitched here. There was uh, some references to him uh, pitching in uh, Blairmore and Crow's Nest Pass area. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we later on established that he definitely uh, came up and uh, pitched at uh, the Pinoka Stampede grounds and their their excitement for their first uh uh, baseball tournament there that drew about 4,000 fans. And then uh, later on in uh, Lethbridge area and um, uh, in Medicine Hat as well. And Medicine Hat in 1963 was a, a bit of a fluke that he ended up here because he was supposed to be uh, touring around BC at the time. But uh, uh, yeah, it just, uh, again, a very charismatic, interesting guy. He's a lanky uh, pitcher known for his his fastball, but also kind of like the the U Darvish of his time. Always had seemed to have like a dozen pitches in his back pocket, and um, you know just people loved uh, interviewing him and getting to know him, and and just a hell of a good pitcher in his in his prime as well. It really spoke as well, I think, to the strength of the game in this province over the course of, you know, the the early days, right? Whether it's the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, it was a gathering point for the community and whether it was Pinoka or Medicine Hat or Lethbridge area. I mean, you'd expect these kinds of appearances nowadays to happen in Calgary and Edmonton and maybe you get a stopover in one of these other smaller spots. But now wherever the money was, the barnstorming was right there, too. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of speaks to uh, that that era of of baseball. In Satchel's case, um, uh, you know, 1935, he pitched the first game at Winnipeg's Osborne Stadium, and a bit of a chilly day in June, and only 700 people 
pay a quarter to go go see him do do his thing. Well, he ends up uh, pitching against. Uh, he he actually didn't pitch for the Kansas City Monarchs that game. He pitched against them, uh, against uh, one of his his future and former teammates, Chet Brewer. And uh, on that per- particular game, that first game, um, they both went nine innings, gave up no runs, and struck out 30 batters between the two of them. And then the game had to be called because it was getting too dark. <laughs> so, I mean, that's and that's you know like kind of at the at the heyday uh, of of what you could see. And I, I, I nothing really relates now that, that having that access to major leaguers uh, in in Canada outside of Toronto at this point, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, we get excited when the the Blue Jays come through town and uh, they're here for a winter tour, right? To, to sign autographs and things like that, which is great. But um, no, they, we, you know, people on the prairies got to see some fantastic uh, ball and some big names, uh, you know, out of Satchel in, in that time. And, and like you said, it, it went from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s in, in Satchel's case. And it wasn't like, hey, there's 30 fans showing up or anything like that. This was the talk of the town. You had, whether it was 4,000 or even a couple of thousand in each of these stops. I mean, this was, this was the big ticket, too. Yeah, in Pinoka in 1959, when they brought him up, uh, it's kind of funny because he was um, pitching like six days a week. So you'd really, at that point, you're really just looking to see him pitch for two or three uh, innings. But uh, for this Pinoka tournament, they they brought him up. He uh, um, was paid $500, and then he flies uh, right out uh, right after the game. And that wasn't a nothing tournament. You had. Uh, uh, you know, you had some uh, teams from Saskatchewan and, and uh, Washington State that came up to participate. Some of them had uh, Pacific Coast League talent on their rosters. Um, and, uh, you know, Delisle, uh, trying to remember the team name, they out of Saskatchewan, they had two uh, NHL Hall of Famers, the Bentley brothers on mm. their team. Uh, and, you know, another guy who was pitching on the Pinoka, it was the Pinoka Stampeders was the, was the home, home side. Uh, Ralph, uh, Ralph Vold, who's a Alberta, uh, sports hall of famer. Um, he, he took the ball from Satchel and, and finished the game in, in that, in that game that Satchel Page appeared in. And, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, Vold was, a uh, minor league pitcher in his own right and had a, a decent career. I think he's actually in the like auctioneering hall of fame oh, <laughs> or really? something like that. So he's obviously a, a very well-known name in the Pinoca area. And then medicine hat, like I said, that was kind of a fluke. He, uh, there, he was supposed to be, uh, arrive in Kimberly and, uh, meet up with life magazine in 1963 to do, uh, the chronicling of his barnstorming tour through BC at the time, which was supposed to end in, uh, Vancouver. Um, he didn't, uh, he didn't show up, uh, and the organizers are like, what's, what's going on. They later track him down. He's in Moose Jaw, uh, you know, very apologetic for not making it out, but, uh, Medicine Hat kind of swoops in, takes advantage, says, Hey, can you come, come to Athletic Park in Medicine Hat? And, uh, and, and pitch here. So he, he comes, comes out for two innings and, uh, of course, we found some great video footage of that uh, outing uh, in front of about 1,000 fans, I think it was, uh, to, to go along with the story, which was, uh, well, that's, that's uh, on my end, that's kind of gold, mm-hmm. <laughs> gold discovery to find stuff like that. So, um, yeah, just uh, just really neat to, to be able to, to dig that up and, and find 
uh, you know, just to have that luck of, of, yeah, hey, Satchel, are you around? You're in Moose Jaw? Come on out. Come to the hatch. I want to ask about that video because it's gone gangbusters online, especially on Twitter and Instagram, and, and you were able to take some stills as well. Where did you get that? Yeah, so I, um, similar to, like when I did a piece on Jackie Robinson, uh, he came to Calgary in 19... 19- uh, 55, uh, right after the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers won, won their first and only World Series. And, uh, you know, I, I knew there was newspaper articles and that there's some photos in the papers. So I approached Glenbow Archives about uh, photos and they had some great, just some great images, like just high resolution, uh, fantastically sharp images. It was part of, you know, it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, as a writer, you, you feel like you're almost uh, being uh, shown up by the, by the images. Mm-hmm. But but that's uh, you know, it's also good to share that stuff with uh, with the world as well. So in this case, uh, I knew that uh, uh, I, I had uh, approached some of the uh, the archives, uh, the photo archives uh, in Alberta, and I went to Esplanade Archives in Medicine Hat. Uh, because I know they, they do a really good job of just archiving everything. And uh, they got back to me and they said, yeah, we don't have any photos, unfortunately, but uh, I think we've got this video. Would you be interested? And uh, I was like, yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> so it's a good, I think it's a good 90 seconds or so. And it's just fun to to see, not only you get a sense of uh, Satchel's uh, pitching delivery and, his, you know, that lanky frame that he's got, there's the part of the video is him batting and you get to see, you know, some of those, those teammates and uh, that he's got and, and also some of the medicine hat side. And uh, you see these old 1950s, 1960s cars in the background and the riverbanks. So really interesting from that point of view. And I should note if anyone recognizes like any of the, uh, the players in the video, be it on the satchel page, all stars or on the, um, uh, medicine hat side, please uh, get in touch with us and let us know because I'd like to fill in some of those blanks as well. It would be nice to name the the guy who uh, who got to start against uh, Satchel Page. That's the fascinating part about all of this is that you go down certain rabbit holes and then you start trying to fill in the blanks and some of these blanks have been going on for eons and yet you know full well that somebody out there somewhere might be able to uh, fill in that blank. Yeah, and uh, you know one of the resources that you and I often use is that at the plate uh, website, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And I'm sure we could find out who like the regulars were on that Medicine Hat Commodores team. So you'd have a pretty good educated guess. That's that's one area we can we can look to. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just fascinating to me to to think that you. You'd be you know pitching in for for the medicine at Commodores, and then now oh, hey yeah you're going up against Satchel today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, good luck. Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, again, it's just one of those things where I think I, I'll share this sentiment, and I'm sure you probably agree as well, is it's kind of an honor to be able to take this opportunity that we have in front of us and to be able to shed some light on the past. I know we focus a lot on, you know, what's happening in the current scheme of things, talking about the Mike Sorokas of the world and the guys who are doing really well and gals who are doing really well stateside or even here in, in Canada, but it's another to be able to shed some light on some of those stories from yesteryear and be able to maybe make somebody go, Oh yeah, I remember that. Or even, Hey, I had no idea that that even happened. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's one thing for the fans as, uh, you know, as, as well, baseball fans and historians who are interested in, in finding out more about that. 
but also even like a, one way I like to look at it, and I and I hope it's kind of connecting the different uh, eras of the game. So you get a guy who plays for the Medicine Hat Mavericks. And maybe Greg Morrison, you know, one day is like, hey, did you know, like, Satchel Page pitched here? Um, things like that uh, I, I find really, really cool, just being able to connect uh, the generations. And maybe that maybe that kid is uh, local or maybe he's from uh, California. It doesn't really matter. Just kind of uh, stitching all that uh, fabric together is, is really interesting. And I, and I hope other... You know, both baseball players and fans and uh, those in the game enjoy it as much as, as you and I do. Absolutely. Now, Ian, I'm going to give you a little bit of a break here and segue into our next story on the website, and it's all about Leon Day, arguably one of the greatest Negro League pitchers and a baseball Hall of Famer. Day actually spent a full season with the Edmonton Eskimos Baseball Club, not the football team, the baseball team, of the Western International League. Now, the author who wrote his biography for the Society for American Baseball Research was Tom Kern. And Tom took some time for us earlier this week to talk about Day's baseball career, his travels, and what it meant to be recognized by the Hall just days before his death. Tom, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Glad to be with you, Joe. Hope all is well on your end. Absolutely it is. And really glad that we were able to connect and, and talk a little bit about Leon Day. And, and let's start off with the player. What was he like as a player? Well, Leon was a remarkable man, uh, a very quiet, uh, very dedicated to his craft, soft-spoken, very different from some of the other players uh, in the day to which he was compared. Satchel Page obviously is... Uh, you know, a big name in, in Negro League sports, uh, was able to uh, take his talents to the major leagues. Satchel was flamboyant. Uh, Leon was a, a very quiet, uh, confident man, and in some ways probably uh, so understated as to have his uh, talents underappreciated. Was that maybe working at his downfall to a certain extent? Was just because he was so quiet, he didn't have that massive bravado that he it almost served against him when it comes to the the promotion side of what he brought to the table. I think that's a very good point. Uh, you know, if there were a, a Mount Rushmore of Negro League pitchers, you'd certainly put Leon Day on that mountaintop. Uh, he was the twelfth. Negro League player inducted into the Hall of Fame. Satchel Page was number one. Uh, a lot of arguments have been made that Leon should have been up there as well among the first to go in. Uh, but importantly, his talents were recognized finally, and uh, uh, the rest is history. When you look at his playing career, and when you look at the numbers particularly, it's not that they're overly striking. It's not like he had hundreds of wins or anything like that, but he was remarkably proficient in a short Negro League season. He sure was. And, you know, a typical season for Negro League teams included something of a number of games in the league that they were playing, maybe 40, 50, 60. But these teams also barnstormed. They played wherever they could to make an extra dollar or two. And the records are spotty at best. We don't really know how well he did. The other thing that factored into his career was that uh, uh, the war intervened. He was uh, a wonderful patriot. He was drafted and he served in Europe for two and a half years, uh, right toward the end of his uh, playing career. And that took away from his stats as well. 
But no question about it, uh, he was considered uh, among the best, uh, had blazing speed. And interestingly so, even though he had a very odd wind-up, Joe, uh, he uh, actually threw uh, more from the side rather than from a full wind-up. When asked about this, uh, he said, well, you know, I played second base too, and I think I just carried my throw from second to first to the pitcher's mound. Uh, there was some concern that maybe that adversely affected him over the years, hurt his arm. He did suffer uh, from uh, production because of uh, uh, an arm problem later in his career. Uh, but uh, stat accumulation aside, when he played, uh, he was outstanding. And that was one of the things that set him apart is not only was he, you know, every three or four games he was on the mound, but on those quote-unquote off days, he was playing second, he was playing the outfield, he was all over the field. He truly was one of those special athletes. And Monty Urban is famous for saying that uh, Leon was a pretty good center fielder, and in fact better than the center fielder on the team that that Leon played, and that would have been Monty Urban himself, so... uh, I mean, no question about it. Uh, he had a decent bat. He he really hit well as as well for his career, uh, and uh, you know that was just uh, the stellar athlete that he was. He was a diminutive man. He was only about five nine, hundred and seventy. Uh, so you wonder where he brought all of his power. Uh, but uh, he uh, he was able to make it work. What was it about him on the mound that set him apart? Outside of the no delivery, did he have a fastball? Did he have a curveball? What was it that really made him unhittable at times? You know, if you talk to his peers, they often use the word intensity. Uh, quiet, but intense. Uh, he wasn't a quick pitch artist that the kind of motion that he had might suggest, but he certainly didn't waste time on the mound. And somehow or other, he was able to bring velocity to his fastball. Uh, the, the thinking was that he probably, in, in an era where we didn't have a, uh, a gun to measure the speed of the pitch, that he was in the, the, the low to mid-90s most of the time. And then as uh, Buck O'Neill would have said, uh, he did a bit of grading of a lot of his uh, contemporaries and those that came before him in, in the, the Negro Leagues. Uh, Buck O'Neill said that his ability to really change speeds and uh, throw uh, the curveball in off-speed stuff. It really made him a cerebral pitcher. But I think the intensity thing was really the big deal, and that's what made him very competitive. So the color barrier gets broken in 1947, and obviously this is after wartime, so he's back on the field again playing. What kinds of doors were opened up to Mr. Day? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, In my research... Uh, I found what was a little bit more than an urban legend, and that was that Jackie Robinson asked Leon if he would go into the Dodger minor league system in 46 when Leon came back from Europe. Leon felt very uh, loyal to the Newark Eagles, a team that he had played for for some years. He had a contract uh, with them. In fact, he pitched a no-hitter on the first day of the season for Newark in 46 and helped lead them to the World Series against the Monarchs that year, which Newark won in seven games. One wonder what might have happened if Leon had entered the minor leagues uh, with Robinson. A lot of other players were of that era, but but Leon confessed that that he didn't have it anymore. His arm problems were an issue. He was getting on in years. 
Uh, and it's hard to know what would have happened. It really, really is. Uh, interestingly, and this is where Canada comes in big time, uh, Leon kept playing, uh, and uh, he did, uh, in fact, enter Major League Ball through the minor league system, thanks to the, the leagues that were available to him in, in Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, Calgary, Edmonton. These uh, cities were open for him to be able to play, and while he wasn't in his prime anymore, he said himself that this made it feel like he had made the majors. And one of the interesting things I, I noticed as I was going through some of the archives is uh, his entrance into even Edmonton, for that matter, for the 1953 season was pretty understated. It was, hey, there's this Negro right-hander is signed on with the Edmonton Eskimos. There was, and part of it might have been just the era and the, the lack of a, information at your fingertips, but B, also the fact that the, the Negro Leagues weren't exactly reported on in, in uh, well-known terms. There wasn't a lot of celebrity status that came along with him actually coming to Canada or to Edmonton. And, you know, that may have been for a couple of reasons we've already cited. One, as you mentioned before, was his, his demeanor, his low-key nature. So he wasn't going to be that well-known. I think it, uh, being at the end of his career, too, had a had a factor to, to play in that. But, you know, within the community, within the, the fandom for the Negro Leagues, he was renowned. He played seven times, seven different East-West colored all-star games uh, in the era in which uh, he was involved. I think that's more than any other player. He was continually chosen by the fans. He played in the games. He was just really considered, in some ways, an icon for the for the sport. And obviously, he had a lot of standout performances. I mean, he comes in and throws a one hitter, eighteen strikeouts in a game to to set a record there. And as you mentioned, he also uh, came back from War's first game back, and he throws a no hitter. I mean, he was remarkably consistent as well. He was, and uh, you know, back to the page day comparison. Uh, according to Leon, from his memory, and the records help substantiate this, Day and Page went against each other uh, four times. Uh, Leon says he won three of those, and I'm going to take him at his word. And one game he said it was nothing, nothing going into the ninth inning, and he was so frustrated his team hadn't scored any runs for him, he ended up hitting a home run to win the game. <laughs> so he he really brought it when he needed to. Talk a little about Day the person. You mentioned he's quiet, he's modest, but I also understand that you had a chance to meet him at one point. Yeah, what an experience. Of course, uh, Leon uh, remained in Baltimore. He was born in Alexandria, Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C. His family relocated to Baltimore not too long after he was born. Uh, His dad found uh, uh, work in Baltimore. Uh, he played for the Black Sox uh, before they had issues before going to the Eagles. Uh, and then, actually, uh, toward the end of his career, he, he pitched for the Baltimore Eli Giants as well. Uh, the the interesting thing about him was that uh, in staying in Baltimore after his retirement, uh, he, he uh, had a chance from time to time to be uh, involved with the Orioles, who came on the scene in 54 and in the early 90s, he threw out a first pitch. Uh, the Orioles, I think, belatedly uh, recognized him, and, and they, they should, and, and, and finally did. Um, I'm a baseball card collector. So in the early 90s, 
my daughter and I traipse up to the Baltimore suburbs to, a, if I remember correctly, a Holiday Inn to go to a baseball card show. This was pre-internet. This is the way you found your baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And we walk in, and there's a, a, a booth over on the one side, a couple of uh, uh, elderly men there. We walk over, and it was Leon Day and, and also Wilmer Fields, who played for uh, the Pittsburgh teams and uh, a little bit younger than Leon. But they were there uh, selling memorabilia. We got in line. It wasn't a very long line. Got in line to say hello. I spoke with him. I didn't know a whole lot about him at the time. This was the early days for my interest in the Negro Leagues. But I spoke with him and, and, and wished him well and, and asked him uh, about his uh, uh, reflections about the game. And he said something akin to the fact uh, that really, you know, he couldn't have asked for more. You know, baseball had been good to him. It was a great game. So we went home. And we started tracking him. Uh, this was uh, probably 93 or so. And each year, the Veterans Committee perseverated uh, uh, on who to, to, to bring into the, to the hall. Uh, Leon didn't make it in 94. And in early 95, uh, the votes were finally there. But he was in ill health. He was in the hospital. Uh, and the hall called him. I think it was uh, early March of 95. And he was just ecstatic, and according to his wife, relieved. He died a week later, and he had heard, finally, that he had been accepted. Humble as he was, I think it made a difference to him. I think that's why he played in Canada. He wanted to be part of the organized baseball scene. It meant a lot to him. He would never probably say that. And we've got to be happy that he really did hear and could die in peace knowing that he had made the halt. I was going to ask about that side of it is obviously it must have meant a world to him to have been recognized in that way after all that he had traveled. And even beyond that is, you know, the things that he had gone through, whether beyond on the baseball field or off. I mean, he served uh, the United States of America and in uh, one of the, the most prolific battles being Normandy. Well, that's right. He was part of the amphibious group division. It was segregated then. Uh, These were uh, troops who helped bring in supplies uh, in the days after D-Day itself. And he said it was uh, a very moving, you know, surreal day for him. Uh, He mentions that in his recollections. He lost a lot of friends that day. He was there, though, and uh, he stayed through early 46. He served his time and uh, I think he was very proud about that. But, you know, Joe, a lot of Negro League players never learned that they were to make it into the hall, and some still haven't made it, even though their careers merited that. And we've got to be appreciative that, uh, again, as we said, that Leon at least knew that. And I think it speaks to the journey that he made and uh, the fact that uh, he had been honored finally for what he did. Final question for you, Tom. How should we remember Leon Day? Well, you know, a man of integrity, that's incredibly important. In whatever profession we have, bringing integrity to bear is so important. You know, a man committed to his skills and and keeping on keeping on. He had some God-given abilities, but he had had issues, too. He had had physical challenges. Uh, He says he slipped in the shower in Cuba in the winter of 37, 38. That really affected his arm from then on out. Well, 1938, 
he kept on pitching. He kept on doing well despite that. He overcame that adversity. I think we need to remember that about him as well. And it's just simply an important story about an unfortunate time in the United States where we didn't seem to think it was of value to have people of all color uh, playing with each other. And I think the testimony of these players reminds us that we missed something. Uh, but at least we're fortunate to know that their stories have been told and we can honor them even after the fact uh, for what they did. We appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit about Leon Day. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. You bet. Take good care. Uh, we appreciate what you're doing, Joe. We are back now with Ian Wilson as we share some of the stories of not only Black History Month, but also uh, 100 years since the creation of the Negro Leagues. And we're going to go a little closer to the present day now. Granted, it was still 45 years ago that Andre Dawson graced the uh, baseball diamonds here in this province, particularly in Lethbridge with the Expos. And you took a little bit of a deep dive on this one, Ian. And uh, walk us through the process in which you came up with this particular story. Yeah, again, the Andre Dawson was kind of one that uh, we, I'd looked on the calendar. I knew that uh, Andre Dawson uh, Classic um, baseball tournament was was happening this month. Uh, for those unaware, it uh, that involves uh, historically black uh, universities and colleges, uh, and it's part of MLB's uh, celebration of Black History Month. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was a familiar name, obviously, to to Alberta. Uh, baseball history fans because uh, I knew that he had uh, played in in Lethbridge and that was about really all that I knew about uh, Dawson's time here is that he played here in 1975 and I wanted to look at that a little bit closer and like really fascinating in terms of uh, first of all a tip of the cap to you you did a that pioneer series which was great Mm -hmm. which uh, examined the the pioneer league teams that first uh, came to Alberta in the 70s and uh, you know kind of laying down roots for the pioneer league in Alberta and and affiliated uh, rookie level uh, baseball so uh, I kind of I did lean on that uh, a bit in in, and the research that you had done but uh, just to see what Dawson accomplished in in one year uh, it was mm-hmm. crazy you know he goes from one year at, at rookie ball uh, signs for two thousand dollars to play in Lethbridge and uh, he ends up uh, playing for the Expos basically a year later like that and then he's rookie of the year two years later in the NL and uh, so that that just kind of blew my mind how fast he was was successful and uh, I think he had a home run in his second game uh, for the Expos and I mean, man, what a what a treat! You're a Lethbridge baseball fan in 1975. First off, you get the Pioneer League um, coming to your town for the first year ever, and uh, a guy named Andre Dawson is is one of the star players there right off the hop. Uh, just it's how incredibly fortunate you'd be to be, you know, a season ticket holder that season. And kind of crazy to think that here's a guy that was relatively unheralded at the time. I think he was, what, an 11th round draft pick of the Montreal Expos. And there was that chance that he wasn't even going to come to Canada because, uh, it, let's face it, two grand even at that point wasn't a whole boatload of money. That's true. And uh, basically what, what happened with Dawson was he uh, he was a two-sport athlete. He had played some football and, and those infamous knee problems that he suffered from uh, kind of stemmed back to to a football injury. So I assume that was part of uh, why he didn't uh, go very high in the, in the draft that year. 
And uh, he did, um, he's very close to some of the uncles in his family, and he uh, he had a talk with them when they, he was given the offer to, to go play in Lethbridge. And uh, he said, you know, it wasn't about the money. $2,000 even in 1975 is not a ton of money. Um, he was counseled that it's just the opportunity. Uh, it's a chance to go out there, show what you can do. And he took the, the bull by the horns and, and really showed that you know he led the league in uh in home runs with 13 uh and he i think he set a, a record for hits that season uh and so he's just playing center field uh leadoff spot and uh he just uh yeah just a, an obvious talent right from the get-go and obviously it wasn't just baseball either as you found out as there was a wedding before a game as well yeah, shades of uh, of Bull Durham, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder if they had that that discussion on the mound about <laughs> what to get their teammate. Um, Rick Hill in uh, in uh, the, during the season ended up getting married at home plate at Henderson Stadium uh, to his. Uh, he was from Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, his hometown honey uh, Sharon came up. Uh, his father was a, a Baptist minister. He did presided over the wedding. And uh, then, you know, they so they did that and then uh, they, they played a game right after and uh, uh, Rick Hill, probably one of his better days at the plate that day <laughs> and uh, and uh, got some action in the outfield as well. And uh, it was just a cool scene because, uh, you know, they were they were doing instead of doing uh, take me out to the ball game, they're doing a wedding song. The organist is doing wedding songs uh, for the for the fans. And they had the like I said with Bull Durham, like Durham, the uh, the arched bats over the the uh, the couple. They did that as well. So really neat to see see that kind of stuff. I, I love just some of those those details that that emerge. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that came out of the uh, the Pioneer League series and the Pioneers was we actually got someone reaching out to us from that original team, and he shared some of the thoughts that he had on a really young at the time, Andre Dawson. Yeah, Mike Grabowski, who, uh, and kudos again to you for, for doing that Pioneer series, because he saw your, your piece on the Expos, and then he uh, sent us an email, and he was just like, yeah, that, that's me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> let me know if you're doing more stories. And uh, he lives in Vermont now, and he uh, he had some good insights on on Dawson. He uh, said he was a pretty quiet guy, but he remembered going going for lunch with him to, uh, one day on the road. And uh, Dawson's uh, roommate uh, Andrew Dyes, who had a great year that year as well. He I think he stole forty. Uh, 40 bases mm-hmm. and was the team MVP over over Dawson. Even though Dawson ended up being like the MVP of the league, I don't know how that <laughs> worked exactly. But anyway, Andrew dies is uh, bickering with one of his teammates, and and uh, Dawson just said, you know, why why are you letting this guy bug you? And he basically was the the peacemaker over lunch. And uh, he Grabowski as well obviously noted like Dawson's power. Just said it was unreal. Like he was just uh, just smashing balls and and because he was in that leadoff uh spot he would he'd go yard he'd hit a home run and then later in the game he'd get plunked mm-hmm. uh just, just just for uh for um going deep uh so Grabowski would be called upon to answer the bell and and hit uh, the some of the opposing batters to to stand up for Dawson because Dawson led the Pioneer League in, in hit by pitches that that season with uh, getting plunked six times so wonder, yeah. some some interesting incident. and one other thing too that Grabowski noted was just 
because uh, his career was was quite short. Uh, I think it was one or two minor league seasons at, at low levels. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets he's mowing the lawn one day and he gets a call. His wife comes and gets him, and it's uh, Andre Dawson in in 1982 uh, inviting him to go to the All Star game, which was a really a nice gesture and. Uh, I think one of the gifts that Grabowski took was, uh, I, I'm assuming Vermont is known for its maple syrup because right. they t- took some uh, maple syrup as a gift to Dawson. And he also ended up going to uh, Dawson's Hall of Fame induction in, in 2010. So just to, great to see that Dawson had uh, maintained that connection and that, uh, you know, he, Grabowski was able to, to really enjoy uh, looking back on that, that time of his career. It really is a wonderful read. Again, go to albertadugoutstories.com for all of those stories. Ian, thanks so much for joining us as always. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks to everyone who, uh, who takes the time to listen and, and read all the, the stuff that we do. We love doing it. Couldn't agree more, and thanks to you as well for listening to Alberta Dugout Stories, the podcast. We'll see you again next time.